Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. Good evening, Fight Fans. Please tune me around the hook and just look at female boxing. This is episode 131. We are going to be talking about female boxing. My name is Felipe Leon from Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. And from the Bay Area of Northern California, is, uh, with us is none other than Mrs. Lupi Gutierrez. Lupi, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Hi, everybody. Hi, and from the Inland Empire, just east of his hometown of East L.A. is Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing? Very good, Felipe. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Um, well, here we are two weeks later to talk about the fights that we saw uh, in the last couple weeks and to talk about what is coming up. And obviously, there is a little bit more to talk about. We were expecting to be talking about a mega fight card uh, that should have happened last weekend. But as space would have it, some tragedy uh, happen in the world, especially in the city or in the country where the fight was to take place. And we'll touch on that when we get to our fight chatter. But we'll go back and look at what happened in the last couple of weeks in female boxing, starting on Thursday, September 1st in Tokyo, where there was a couple of upsets where at least world titles changed hands when Yuko Kuroki scored a unanimous decision with scores of 98-92 two times in 97-93 over Nanei Suzuki to capture the WBA 102-pound title. And the same night on the same card, Mika Iguakawa scored a unanimous decision with 96-94 three times over Ayaka Miyao to score the IBF 102-pound title. So the landscape at 102 pounds, which is atom weight, which is unique to female boxing, now has two uh, new world champions capturing their titles on September 1st. The WBA champion in Mexican, Montserrat Alarcón. The WBC champion is long-reigning Fabiana Bitiki. And now IBF and WBO have new queens with Mika Iwakawa and Yuko Kuroke, respectively. David, we have a, uh, a correspondent on the pridefires.com in that part of the world did they give you a, a report on those two fights, and, and was the results what we expected? Uh, no, not it wasn't quite what they expected. They did uh, the people reporting did expect great fights because uh, in Japan they're very evenly matched, and for them to take the title and then lose a rematch is very common over there because. They tweak and they do their adapt, uh, adaptations and, you know, change it around. Uh, they're very good at that. But she said the fights are very, very good. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Yuriko uh, Miata, our reporter. And uh, she also said there's a new Japanese fighter who's basically uh, a little dynamo. And she kind of won the fight of the night. Uh, it was an all-woman fight card in Tokyo, and this uh, new fighter won the fight of the night. I forget her name. Um, mm-hmm. Man, 
I'll get it pretty soon. Let me see. But anyway, that's what she reported. Let me see if I can find it for you real quick. Uh, let me see here. Because if you hear the name, you'll probably recognize it, right? Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Research. Uh, so on that fight card, uh, you, you mentioned it was an all-female. There was a there was a Yuki Fuki flightweight, won a four-rounder. There was a Emily Abe who won a, a Adam weight, won a unanimous decision. There was a Nao Ugawa, a minimum weight, who won a unanimous decision. There was a knockout. Oh, was a knockout. Was it Sumire Yamanaka, who was an Adam That's weight? That's it. Okay. Yes. She won the WBO Asia Pacific Adam weight title, which was vacant. Uh, they was actually against an undefeated fighter in Honoka Kano, and Sumiri Yamanaka six and zero with two knockouts. She's a southpaw, just under five feet. She's only four feet nine and a half, and she's competing. Wow, that's short. And she's competing at um, at atom weight. She went pro in December 2020, um, and she has a uh, six wins, two of them by way of knockout, and now she's a WBO Asia Pacific Atomweight champion. So uh, good to know. She's only uh, 20 years old. Uh, maybe she'll stay at that weight class for a while. Maybe she'll move up and make it even more exciting than 105 pounds, which we're going to be talking about in, uh, in a couple of minutes. So we'll keep an eye out on Sumire Yamanaka, who I believe – let me see real quick uh, – let me see. Ba, ba, ba. Score the only knockout of the night. All the other um, fights, which were eight, all female, went the distance. So that is something to write home about. Sumire Yamanaka scoring a fifth-round TKO over a previously undefeated Honoka Kano. Uh, so we'll, hmm. we'll keep an eye on that. On Friday, September 2nd, in Culiacán, Mexico, Maria Guadalupe Bautista, who is the WBA regular uh, 108-pound champion with a record of 20 wins, 11 losses, 2 draws, 4 knockouts, scored a third-round TKO over Jacqueline Trejo in, an eight, in a scheduled eight-rounder at supposedly 105 pounds. I think it was at 108. Um, now, this I mentioned this, this opponent, and I mentioned the record of Bautista because I'm going to mention Trejo, who was 1-5-1 one one with one knockout. So... I don't know if you guys uh, know this, and, but there is a little bit of controversy in Mexico and BoxRec where there's a committee that needs to approve. There's a committee that has about – it's a WhatsApp community, and it's a committee that has about 60 promote, Mexican promoters. And this whole committee was established with Maureen Shepard, who is – the leader of BoxRec out of England, and to try to combat boxing tourism where it's defined as American fighters or fighters from other countries coming into Mexico and fighting inferior uh, opposition and getting a quick win, but also fights within to with, against Mexican against Mexican and also um, trying to combat easy wins of this nature, um, it has to be approved by this committee, or at least it has to go through the committee, and the committee decides if that fight should even go on or not. I believe that this fight was not, did not go through that committee, and even though the fight, even though she won, 
um, BoxRec, which is the official scorekeeper, at least for the Associated Boxing Commissions in the United States, is not uh, recording this as a win for Bautista. Bautista, who is a world champion with about 30, almost 35 fights, and she's facing a fighter with seven fights, that should not be approved. That fight should have never happened. And they're trying mm-hmm. to combat that by having the promoter, okay, you're going to put on the fight, go ahead and pay for this fighter to fly to Culiacan and, and, and put on this whole fight and, and you're going to pay this opponent and everything, and at the end of the day, your fighter is not going to get credit for it, at least not on BoxRec, and it's not going to come mm. out. So, so they're trying to combat that, and I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, this is a, a champion who I have knowledge that has, she has been offered competitive fights against ranked fighters, and she would not take it. And now this fight was not for her world title, and, I, and, you know, let's give her the benefit of the doubt, and they want to keep her busy, and they want to maybe uh, knock the rust off, but you got to do it against a better fighter with a record of one win, five losses, one draw, and one knockout. And if we delve a little bit uh, deeper into it, I can almost guarantee you that this Jacqueline Trejo has never even been scheduled in an eight-rounder before. But before I make that uh, – a, a statement. Um, uh, let me make sure. Nope. She she fought a four rounder, four rounder, six rounder, four rounder, four rounder, six rounder, four rounder, and this was the first time she was scheduled uh, in an eight rounder against a current world champion. So uh, I I don't feel bad for this promoter not paying for this whole thing and not having it come up on BoxRec. So um, hopefully this, this, this we see less and less of these type of fights. So we move on to Saturday, September the 3rd. Uh, Natasha Jonas scored a unanimous decision in England against Patricia Bergul in the 10-rounder at 154 pounds. She adds, uh, I believe she was a WBC world champion. Now she adds a WBO or vice versa. I'm not 100% sure. Scores there were 192 times in 99-91. David, did you get a chance to see this fight? And if so, what did you no, think? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see it either. I don't even know who was broadcasting it. Lupe, did you get a chance to see it? No, I didn't get a chance. It yeah. was doing it. I don't, even, I don't even know. Who yeah, I don't it. know if it was it televised over here or did anybody I don't, even yeah, see it? Think, I don't think it was on here. Was it on the zone? I don't even think it was. She's not with no, the zone. No, it wasn't on the zone. the zone. Yeah, I didn't no, get a chance. It wasn't the zone. So Jonas captures the WBC WBO title. Uh, something interesting and that we're going to talk about as well in our upcoming fights is that Jonas is not a natural 154 pounder. She actually is more of a natural 135 pounder. And not too long ago, she yeah. had challenged uh, Katie Taylor at 135 pounds. She decided to skip over the 140 and 147 pound categories and moved up straight to 154 where she has become a name you know um at 154 pounds you know and she has actually gone as far as actually challenging clarissa shields at uh at 154 pounds so right now at 154 pounds we have hannah ranking who's a wbo champion which we're going to talk about in a little bit we have mary eve de carey who was a who who is a two-time world champion at 154 pounds. She captured the IBF title on December 17th of last year. She had held that title before, and she had lost it to 
Clarissa Shields. Once Shields vacated or was stripped, Mary Eve DeCary went after it, and she won it again. And then at WBO, we have Natasha Jonas with the WBC world title as well, capturing that title on – she captured the WBC on September 3rd. So she had the WBO. Patricia Bergut was the WBC champion. So – uh, quite interesting, and we're going to talk about that in our upcoming calendar, about another fighter who's trying to do the same in the same weight class. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. On the same night, Saturday, September 3rd, from Hermosillo, Mexico, on the zone, Erika Cruz scored a unanimous decision over Jelena Moranovic in the rematch to, you know, consecrate herself as a WBA champion at 126 pounds. The scores there were 190 three times. We all got to see this fight. Lupe, what did you think of Erika Cruz? And more importantly, what did you think of Jelena Moranovic's performance? And do you think that at 40 years old, she has much to do in, in professional boxing? You know, I, I think Erika Cruz proved her first championship win wasn't a fluke. To me, she looked more composed or more together, not such a brawler. She's improved. Um, uh, Jelena you know, Jelena, she can't muscle herself around the ring anymore and just muscle out a knockout, you know, with this younger and better equipped younger generation. And, yeah, at 40, I'd say, I was thinking, you know, after this, if, if she did lose this fight, that'd probably be it for her. David, what do you think? Do you think Jelena, I mean, obviously we would expect for her, usually what we see traditionally when a fighter fights for a world title or loses a world title and then maybe even gets a rematch, she ends up moving up to hundred to the next level which or the next category, which at this point for Jelena will be 130 pounds. Do you think that it's something that she should consider? Or at 130 pounds and knowing who's at 130 pounds? Or do you think it's probably best she concentrates more on her gyms, which she has established, I think, a chain of them in Canada? It's uh, a good question. Um, I, I agree with everything that Lupe just said. I saw the same thing. I thought Erica Cruz actually looked a little even better, a little more composed. Um, and I think that, uh, like like Lupe said, uh, Jelena was fighting like at a 50-mile-an-hour pace, and Erica was at a 80-mile-an-hour pace, and she just couldn't keep up. And I think that's basically going to be the way it is from now on for her. She just can't fight at that same pace. And uh, the, the girls are much better now. I mean, mm-hmm. I was talking to some other experts uh, just recently about that. Uh, it's just noticeable that the amateur program has changed everything. Uh, the girls that are coming out of amateurs are way better equipped. They're They're just so skilled uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there was only maybe 10% of the girls could fight like this. Now it's about 70%. And that's a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, Juranovich, Muranovich is coming from, you know, uh, the earlier generation of, uh, of fighters. Um, yeah. You know, she's she's 40 years old. She started her career back in uh, 2003. So she's almost been a pro for 20 years. And like you mentioned, David, and I, I completely agree with you, you know, the, the, 
the level of opposition 20 years ago is not the level of opposition it is now, you know, and she's had a great run. She's fought some great fighters. She's beaten some great fighters. I mean, her first loss was Layla MacArthur. She, she beat Layla MacArthur a couple of uh, fights later. Uh, she's fought everybody. Uh, Belinda Laracuente beat her, uh, lost to MacArthur again. Uh, you know, Melissa Hernandez, uh, beat Melinda, beat Belinda Laracuente, beat Melissa Hernandez in rematches. Uh, I mean, everybody in that weight class has Lee Soledad Matiz, who's a former world champion. She beat her as well. Those were great fights there. But I think it's just time, you know? I mean, there's a time when a fighter gets to a certain point, and I think it's that time for Muranovich. I mean, I'm not, I mean, she's not going to follow my, my lead because I'm nobody in her, in her, you know, in her team or anything, but just by watching her and seeing, uh, you know, like in baseball, you know, you, you don't have that fastball anymore. And I don't think she has it anymore. And, and I agree with David. She doesn't have it against the caliber of opponents she's going to be facing at the world-class level in 126 or 130 pounds. So, you know, before something happens, it's better that she hangs them up. And, you know, like I mentioned, she does, she's made some, some good investments. It looks like she's doing okay for herself. So, why not just call it a day? I mean, she had not fought um, in in more than a year, about a year and five months, so or about a year and six months, something like that. So I think it's time to uh, to call it a, a day. I don't know, but that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. So uh, we move on to Thursday, September the eighth in San Jose, Costa Rica, on the zone. Quite exciting fight card. Some surprises, but on the female side. Um, it was all what we expected. Sonia Osorio loses the unanimous decision to Adelaida Reese uh, for the interim WBC 115-pound title. Adelaida Reese, before that, had held the silver title. Scores there were 190, 99-91, and 98-92. And in the main event, to a packed house of about 6,000 people in Costa Rica, the local fighter, Jocasta Valle, scored a unanimous decision over T2 Nien to score uh, in over 10 rounds to add the WBO title to her IBF strap. Now she's a unified 105-pound champion. Scores there were 193 times. So let's talk first, David, about Adelaida Reese's win. I don't think that it was much of a surprise to either one of us or even Lupe as well, which we have seen Reese fight um, uh, live. I've seen Osorio live uh, live as well. And the one thing that did surprise me to a certain point, David, and I don't know about you, is that Osorio put a better fight than I expected. I've seen her fight before. I've seen her fight Isabel Millan in, in Monterrey, and Millan beat her. Um, and I, I'm not a big fan of Millan's style. I'm a big fan of her as a fighter, but not of her style. And she was able to beat Sonia Osorio and I didn't expect Osorio to put up such a fight. And to have certain moments, maybe not to win the rounds, according to one of the judges. One judge gave her one round, and another judge gave her two rounds. But maybe the, the moments that I did see were enough to get those, to convince those judges to give her those rounds. But there were some moments there where she kind of was more aggressive than expected and kind of made um, Greece suffer for at least a couple of rounds in one judge's uh, scorecard, David. Yeah, she made uh, some really clever adjustments. Uh, she kind of figured out that Ruiz, uh, that Alayda Ruiz uh, has uh, 
certain combinations that she lands. And uh, instead of letting around the midway, she kind of figured that out, or maybe her trainer, but she she changed tactics and wouldn't allow Adelaide to use those combos. And that kind of threw Adelaide for a loop. You know, she was trying to figure out what's going on, and so she started going to the uh, using her jab and going to the body. And but uh, Sonia was pretty clever. I mean, she made every round competitive. She just didn't lay down, but she she tried to win the round. She just was outgunned, in my opinion. One thing one thing that I was pretty impressed with, Lupe, coming from Reese, was her jab. She was pretty disciplined in using it, at least in the beginning of the fight, in the first half of the fight, and maybe it was some of those adjustments that David mentioned that Sonia Soto made that kind of made her come off that that consistent jab. But I was pretty impressed by that jab, at least in the beginning, from Reese. What did you What did you see from Laila Reese and Sonia Osorio in this fight? You know, that's funny you say um, her jab because that's one of the first things that my sister and I were talking about. I mean, th- that jab, and you know, she has nice long arms to keep Osorio off of her. But you know, I thought I, I was like, yeah, I wasn't expecting much from Osorio, probably because of the other fight, and I, I thought she was kind of scared to face co- um, La Cobra. But, you know, they were a little apprehensive at times, but they had some great exchanges, and I was happily surprised, like, how Osorio came at her because I, I thought she was scared of her, but she obviously, she wasn't, you know. And Cobra, she's a great champion, you know, with a great future and a greater left hook uh, to the body. She had some nice body shots. Yeah. Now, the question would be, which I find very interesting, the question would be if how soon we see Adelaida Ruiz challenge the current champion at 115 pounds for the WBC, which is Pequeña Lulu. And Pequeña Lulu, who is Mariana, uh, Lourdes Juarez, who is the sister of Mariana yeah. Juarez, she's really a flyweight who moved up to 115 pounds for the opportunity to win a world title at 115. She's defended it four times. But I've been around both women. Um, Lourdes Juarez and Adelaide Ruiz, and I can I can tell you that Adelaide Ruiz is a much much bigger woman than Lourdes Juarez, taller, longer, and thicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's gonna make a big difference in whether Lourdes Juarez faces her, or if so, the the outcome of that fight. Now Lourdes Juarez does have a fight, a defense in. Nayarit on October 1st against Aslin Gonzalez, and she would have to come out of that. And then we'll see if the WBC orders a fight between Adelaide Ruiz and Pequeña Lulu. Lulu, we all know the Juarez sisters have always been a favorite of the WBC. And we have seen it before where the WBC has, you know, been apprehensive, to use that word, in, <laughs> in uh, ordering... Uh, you know, mandatory fights between their interim champions and their full-fledged champions. We saw it with Kenny Enriquez at 108 pounds um, and Yesenia Gomez, so much so that you think that, you know, Kenny Enriquez outgrew the division before she was mm-hmm. given the opportunity to face Yesenia Gomez, and now Yesenia Gomez went and lost the title to Kim Clavel. So, um, um, We'll see. I, I think that is a good fight. I think it's a great. I, I I don't know, David. I don't know if it's a good fight. I don't think because 
I just think that Adelaida Reese's um, um, size advantage is going to be too much for Lourdes Juarez. What do you think, Lupi? Yeah, it, it it will be, but I'm thinking that Lourdes is tough. I mean, she's also one of those bare knuckle fighters, so she's not going to go down without a fight. But yes, the the arm reach and the the size will be tough for her. But I think that'll be a tough fight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like one thing about Lulu is that she's very agile, and I think that's the one thing about Adelaida that. I think she has to work on. Her legs seem unsteady. She always mm-hmm. seems like she's going to fall down. And that's the one thing that Lulu has. She moves side to side, and then she hits you with 100 punches, and she has perfect timing. And uh, it, it's going to be, to me, I think that's going to be a puzzle because uh, Adelaide hits hard, and she's very good with her punching. But Lulu can move side to side and make uh uh, the light that changed direction, and I don't think she's very good at that. I haven't seen her do very well in changing directions with her, her legs. For some reason, her legs seem unsteady. It, it, if you watch that fight with Sonia Osorio, you can see it. Her legs seem like they're gonna like she's on stilts. Now I think she has to work on that. I've had a conversation with somebody from the Adelaide Reese camp uh, some months ago. And they mentioned to me that they try to make that fight against Lourdes Juarez in the United States. And Lourdes Juarez asked for a pretty good purse, not astronomical, somewhat a little bit more than double that what she usually gets paid in, uh, in Mexico to make a defense, which is understandable. I mean, you are coming to the United States, and this is where dollars are made, and she's a champion, and she's being challenged. So she made uh, a pretty good demand. And obviously that – that demand was not met. Now, Mark Nation, who is the promoter of um, Adelaide Reese, has just won a huge purse bid, $2.4 million purse bid, to, which was a million dollars more than any other promoter that made an offer to be able to uh, promote the fight between Jose Chon Cepeda and Regis Progres for the vacant WBC 140-pound title. Now, if they're willing to put up that kind of money for that kind of fight, which is not, I mean, for those that know boxing in general, we all know that that fight between Chon Cepeda and Regis Progres is not a almost $3 million fight, okay? So if they're willing to make that kind of investment in that kind of fight, I think that if it's money, I think that they would be willing to to come to 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 make the offer that Lourdes asked for to be to come to the United States and defend the title against Adelaide Reese sometime in the near future, hopefully in 2023. Who knows? Maybe on that fight card. I mean, that's wishful thinking, but that would make me be a lot more interested in Chon Cepeda against Regis Progres if on the undercard or the semi-main event is Lourdes Juarez against uh, Adelaide Reyes for all the marbles, well, for the 115-pound WBC mm. title. So we'll see if that is something that could be in the works. In the main event in San Jose, Costa Rica, like we mentioned, Yocasta Valle scoring that decision over T2 Ni Yen to score, to capture the WBO uh, world title and to put that together with her IBF, making her a unified champion. David, you had seen 
Nguyen the, from Vietnam win that WBO title and you felt that maybe she had gotten a, a, a gift to get that decision. And she was tough. She was tough. She was coming forward. Yeah. But I think that she didn't really have a lot of answers for Valle's speed, her footwork, and her combinations. Although I believe that Valle, I'd seen it in the last fight against Villalobos, and I saw it against again against Nian. She's kind of predictable, just like you mentioned that Reese was maybe a little bit predictable in her in her um, in her combinations. I think Valle is also predictable in her combinations, and I think that if she were to face a more experienced world champion, including at 105 pounds, none other than um, Senez Estrada or even Tina Rupgrit, who also has a win over her in the past, they will, might be able to decipher that th- those combinations much better than Nian did. But other than that, what did you see in this fight? Well, I saw basically the same fight that she fought against Itsuko Tara when, when she won. Base, uh, I thought Tata did many of the same things. She just outboxed her, and, and it was that it was a ridiculous uh, decision when they gave the the belt to to Nguyen. And uh, to me, that was the worst decision of all last year. Uh, but Baya did, you know, a little bit more than Tata, but it was basically the same thing. She just outpunched her and never got really much in return. But, you know, uh, Nguyen can take a punch because Tana mm-hmm. had just knocked out, uh, I forget which girl she knocked out, was one punch, and she was she had the knockout of the year. And she connected at Nguyen over and over and over, and that girl never went down. Uh, so I knew she could take a punch. Lupi, how competitive do you see a fight between your Castavalle and Sinesa Estrada? That's the fight that she asked for. She said, I want to fight for all the titles. She has mentioned Cienes Estrada before um, in the past. How competitive do you think that fight is um, in 2023? You know, I always ask myself, I, I ask my, myself that after Yoka's fight and the last fight. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, and she looks good. She's definitely proving with Coach G, Gloria Alvarado. And then I always end up. But will she beat Sinisa? And I always say no. How competitive will it be? Vale will do her best to be competitive. But Sinisa, with the power, I don't think she stands a chance. I really, not yet. I really don't think she does. I, I, don't, I disagree with you a little bit there, Lupi. I don't see an improvement with her current team. I think that the team that she had before, uh, who was a gentleman from Costa Rica. She was doing pretty well. Um, I saw the same fighter that we saw uh, here in, in, in L.A. in Orange County mm-hmm. against Villalobos. Uh, I think Villalobos put, uh, put up a similar fight than, than Yen. I just don't see any improvement. I don't see any improvement from Villalobos to Yen and for me to say, wow, we're, we're, we're going in the right direction towards Sinesta Estrada. So, I mean, I don't know if they're still trying to, you know, get to a certain point together. Um, I don't see anything mm-hmm. new uh, from from Via Lobos to to Valle. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, to Yen. So, so we'll see. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Um, I think I agree with you. I think Sinisa Estrada um, beats Valle at this point. 
it could be a competitive fight. Um, but, I mean, I don't see Valle winning more than two or three rounds, to be quite honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, I think it could be competitive rounds, but I don't see her winning mm-hmm. more than two or three rounds against, against Ines Estrada. Now, let's see if they can make the fight. Now, we all know that Ines Estrada has made a move uh, to top rank. I, Go ahead, I see, I see some improvements in Valle. Like, for instance, she's she's consciously not holding. She started it out at first, and she's consciously using other methods because under the old coach, she was holding every 30 seconds. And, I mean, there's only two-minute rounds, and she would lose one quarter of every round by holding. And that was a horrible play. Every time she fought, I would just close my eyes. But now she's not doing that. She did it for the first round and a half, and then she started pushing away the other person instead of holding them. And that's better than holding because at least the action is going to resume. And uh, well, she, she's, she's got some little things. Well, that is an improvement. I mean, if, if, if the improvement is her not holding, I mean, I think you're helping me prove my point, David. I mean, if that's the, if that's the improvement that we're seeing <laughs> is that her not holding. So, but I, I agree with you. I see what, I see what you're saying because I know that you're a, uh, a big advocate against holding in, in any boxing. So, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, let's, not just me. Let's, let's see what Sinise Estrada does in November. She hasn't, they haven't really, what's it, what fight card? When is that Lomachenko fight? Because, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to guess on what fight card. Um, I think Vasily Lomachenko is fighting on, uh, in October. So I have not, I have, I don't, I haven't figured out which, uh, which. Uh, I've, I've which, heard some rumors that she may be card? fighting on a, Oscar Valdez fight. Oh, okay. And Oscar Valdez is I forgot who is they were mentioning a uh they were mentioning a uh a, a Japanese fighter. So if it's if it's if it's Oscar Valdez, more than likely her the fight's gonna be in either LA or Vegas or maybe even Texas because they'll they'll they might take uh Valdez to Texas as well. Maybe Arizona, maybe Phoenix, because he does pretty good numbers in Phoenix as well. So we'll see. She has been mentioned that it will be in November. Obviously, no opponent to be uh, to be mentioned or or announced. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens because I don't even think they have secured the, the the opponent for Oscar Valdez. Yeah, the fight for Lomachenko is on October 29th, so it wouldn't be that fight card. Um, so we'll see what comes up and let's see how soon we can see a fight between Yocasta Valle and Siniese Estrada. Friday, September 9th in Montreal, Canada, Mary Spencer scored it. First round TKO over Cynthia Lozano uh, in a scheduled 10 runner, 154 pounds. She, I don't, she has the WBA international and WBC silver titles. Time was 103. One thing that I've seen about this fight is that, and it has been mentioned before, is that Lozano had not really proved, shown uh, this um, that she deserved to fight for world titles or to be fighting in the in the. In a um, in a uh, in an elite level, she's five nine ninety two with seven knockouts, and the two times that she has been stopped have been in a row uh, via knockout, uh, and it was in her last fight. So back in December of two thousand twenty one, she was stopped in seven rounds by Mary Eve DeCarry for the vacant IBF world title, and then in her next fight, which was almost a year later, uh, she loses uh, for the vacant. WBC Silver and WBA International Super Welterweight title uh, in the first 
round. I'm actually going to look for the footage of this. It's probably already on YouTube because I am interested in seeing this fight, even though it only lasted one round, just because of the um, of the level of uh, talent that people or ability that people keep mentioning for Cynthia Lozano. David or Lupe, did you guys get a chance to see this uh, this round of Mary Spencer? Uh, not me. You know, I did. I saw the like a few seconds of the knockout. Let me see if I can dig it up and I'll send it to you. Now but it was it was a knockout. Mary Spencer, she's seven and zero now with five knockouts. She's thirty seven years mm-hmm. old. I have heard some inklings there that she could be an opponent at one point for Clarissa Shields, but at thirty seven years old, I'm starting to really doubt that. So uh, we'll see. Oh, I didn't realize she was that. Yeah, she's older. Seven. She's oh, seven. That's too bad. That's too bad that? because she's like the real deal. You know, that's too bad that she, I didn't realize she was that old. She has, um, you know, I mean, she her amateur background's really good too. I mean, she has three world champs. She was, she won uh, gold at the Pan Games. I mean, she's Canadian championship multiple times. Huh. I didn't realize mm-hmm. her age. Yeah. So I mean, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen soon. Um, but obviously, Carissa Shields has some uh, some pending business, and we'll talk about it a little bit. And lastly, um, lastly, it was it was announced that Anabel Ortiz will be fighting on that card in Costa Rica um, against uh, Maria Michelle from Nicaragua, I believe she is. But at the last minute, it was announced that Anabel Ortiz will be fighting in Mexico on September 10th, which she did score in a unanimous decision eight-rounder against Cindy Corona. But um, her fight against Maria Michelle, according to BoxRec, is scheduled for October 20th on the undercard of Floyd Schofield against Daniel Rosas at Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. So that's for whatever reason, maybe Ortiz couldn't get to Costa Rica. Maybe Maria Michelle couldn't get to Costa Rica. Maybe they wanted to wait and be in the United States and get paid a, a bigger purse, perhaps. I mean, that's just me speculating. But according to BoxRec and according to the upcoming calendar, um, which was updated by a, a, a member of Golden Boy, uh, the fight is scheduled for October 20th at, uh, at the Fantasy Springs Casino and on The Zone. Um, on on October twentieth, David. What do you think about that? Oh, that's good. That's really good that uh, they they decided to put it up here. Um, I know that uh, Golden Boy has some plans with a lot of the flyweights. I didn't know that Anna Battle was also going to be fighting up here. Yeah, well, she's fighting at one hundred eight, so uh, she's not up there yeah. yet. See what they want to do with her. She was the champion at one hundred five, long reigning. Uh, but at 108, just if she wanted to go after the world champions there, we're looking at Jessica Neri Plata, who's the super champion for the WBA, and the aforementioned Guadalupe Bautista, who is the champion in recent um, for the WBA. WBC is the newly crowned Clint Clavel, who has a, a date with Jessica Neri Plata in December. And then for the IBF and WBO is the undefeated Evelyn Bermudez. So um, those are some tough fights there for Annabelle Ortiz, but obviously she was first need to get through Maria Michel, who we last remember going about five, six rounds against Senesa Estrada before being stopped. 
So we move on to fight chatter. Unfortunately, because of Queen Elizabeth's passing, the mega fight card scheduled for Saturday, September 10th in London, England, which included the unification fight between Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall at middleweight and the unification fight between Michaela Mayer and Alicia Baumgartner was postponed for October 15th. Now, David feels that that date's in jeopardy, or at least the participation of Clarissa Shields, David. Why don't you tell us why you think that might be in jeopardy? Well, Clarissa, they didn't expect the fight to be canceled, of course. Uh, So she has a contract with MMA organization Professional Fighters League, which is, uh, they have a fight card scheduled for November. And Clarissa was supposed to be in the main event. And uh, that's also going to be televised on ESPN. So it's a big deal. It's not a little fight card. So for her to be fighting on October 15th, so close to the November uh, 25th date is, you know, it's, it could endanger that, that uh, MMA fight. So there has to be some kind of negotiation or, or understanding between uh, Clarissa and the PFL. And uh, mm-hmm. I spoke to Mark Tappet about it. He, he's very optimistic about it. He said that it looks like they may let her go. They're going to have to negotiate some kind of an agreement. Um, but it, he, he felt that it was going to happen. Uh, the other thing is that he also basically told me all that was going on between so many promoters and also the TV, also the venue, everything he said happened really easy and negotiations went fine for all the other fighters. So everybody else seems to be taken care of. They're still going to be at the O2 arena. It looks like it's going to be October 15th. Uh, everybody's cleared, even Michaela. Michaela's fighting for top rank, and on that same day, Devin Haney is fighting his rematch in Australia, and they're both at ESPN. But but I spoke to top rank, and they told me it's not going to be a problem because one's in the morning and one's at night. And so they feel they're going to be able to show both cards. David Haney's at night. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, Haney's at night. Uh, for uh, for us, and uh, Michaela's in the morning for us. Mm. So they felt that that's not a problem. So all of the other fighters except for Clarissa are taken care of. Clarissa's the only one they're taking care of right now negotiating uh, an agreement. But uh, Mark Taffet, her manager, felt it's going to happen, that it looks like it will happen. And after they say yes, then they'll give the official uh, consent. Now, Lupe, with your experience, you had a lot of experience with the amateur fighters in your program, you know, and this kind of happens, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to compare it, but it sometimes happens in, in, in amateur boxing where they show up, they get ready, they train, they make a little bit of weight, they cut a little bit of weight, they get to the fight, and there's no opponent for them. So mentally, how do you think it affects these women that they were ready, they're ready to make the weight, because the weight, as far as they were concerned, the weighing was going to happen at one. They were still trying to figure it out. They changed it to three. Then they changed it back to one. So they were under the impression that they were still going to make the weight, that the fight was still going to happen, and then everything gets canceled. So mentally, how tough how is it for these women to get ready again as, you know, based on your experience with the female fighters and the amateurs that you work with? 
You know, it, it's all attitude. It, it, it really is because we have seen it on our on our morning weigh-ins where one of the girls shows up, Jessica Gare, the girl who just went pro, and her girl didn't show up. She just pulled. So the, it's a big letdown. Um, there's also been times when somebody doesn't make weight, they're out, and we pull somebody who was – we pulled a, somebody from Mexico – and she was a boxer, and she's like, I'm ready to go. And she jumped in, and she won. She was our first Mexican champion. It's all attitude and how much, how strong are you? How, you know, I, these girls, these pros, you know, I, I've seen on Twitter where um, they were mentioning one of the boxers, you know, she's not going to, it's going to turn for her on the second fight. And then they said, they mentioned top rank, so we all know it's Michaela. I don't see a, a girl like that breaking and coming back and, and losing that momentum, it's all attitude. Hmm. Now, I saw an interview today with Ben Shalom, who is the promoter for Boxer, who is the promoter of Savannah Marshall and uh, co-promoter of Clarissa Shields, and he's the lead promoter in here. And he, you know, it's kind of it's kind of refreshing for him to say, you know, this has, I mean, the whole postponing of it has been a financial disaster, but who could have... Who could have predicted it, you know? And, you know, they had to fly the fighters there. Now they have to fly them all back to the United States or to wherever, wherever they're from. And then they're going to fly them all the way back to England again uh, on October 15th or prior to October 15th. And he did mention as well that some of those fighters are being helped um, with an advance on their purses to take care of this extra fight camp that they got to put together. So that was pretty mm-hmm. interesting for him to actually mention that and, and, and the adjustments that they have to make to keep this fight card going. At the end of the day, they're probably going to, I mean, the, the place was sold out. They might come out, you know, even Steven after spending flights all over again, but, you know, or, you know, if they could minimize their losses, it might, you know, not be so bad for them. Another thing that was uh, announced uh, in the last couple of weeks is that matchroom boxing has won the purse bid for an all-Australian IBF world title clash at 118 pounds between world champion Ebony Bridges and Shannon O'Connell. You know, that is a fight that a lot of people have been asking for in, um, in, um, in, in the land down under. Ebony Bridges has said publicly that she doesn't see herself fighting in Australia anytime soon. Um, now the fact that, that, um, um, Matchroom Boxing has won the purse bid. More than likely, um, Eddie Hearn would look to make that fight somewhere in England or might even be in the UAE in Dubai on one of these championship series. But at the end of the day, Shannon O'Connell, who is 39 years old with a record of 23 wins, six losses, one draw, 11 knockouts, and two or losses by knockout, gets her opportunity for a world title shot against Ebony Bridges. Um, how how good of a fight is this, Lupi? How competitive do you think this will fight will be? It's. I think it's going to be very competitive. Uh, you know, there's a, a height difference here, and a reach difference. Can we? Oh God, I wish I had my. Can we see what that is? Can you look that up? That's going to be. I think. Um, O'Connor is five five. 
Yeah. O'Connor is five five and Ebony is give me one second. Like here. Five foot. Um is she that is she? Let me see. Maybe she's like five, five foot. not gonna go down without a fight and Shannon thinks she's gonna win this. It's gonna be really competitive. Um, she's and five why one. are you looking that up, Felipe? Why are you she's looking that one. up? Okay, so well, who's the number 50? Who's the what? Who's the number 50? Okay, so there was a quote. Um, Shannon had said something like, we've been chasing this fight, you know, before Ebony had the belt. Um, she's ducking me, and she wanted to fight. She wanted to get the number 50 ranked in the world instead of me, and Shannon's number three. Who's number 50? Let me see. I don't mean it might not be up to – because it changes. It kind of fluctuates all the time. Um you know, or she could be just saying that number fifty. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, could it be fifty? I mean, that'd be crazy if she was going after fifty. Because fifty, I could almost, yeah. I can guarantee you that she's going to have an upside down record. But I'll tell you who the number fifty, um, uh, number fifty is. Actually, not so bad. Joanna Wan Yu, who's five and zero from France. She's a number one, the oh, okay. number fifty ranked um, bantamweight in the world. Um, is oh, okay. One thing about Shannon uh, O'Connell is that she came very close to signing with top rank. They were looking at her at the same time we uh, going to sign Michaela Mayer. And then they, she had a fight against Helen Joseph and got knocked out. And that ended the, the, the possibility of her signing with top rank. But she was very oh, close. If she hadn't got knocked you know, out she- by Helen Joseph, she would have got it. Wow. 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 You know, she also fought um, Taylor Robinson, who's that young pro from Australia. I thought Taylor yeah. won that. So, and they gave it to Shannon. So it'll be really interesting to see who takes this fight. Now, one thing that's interesting, and just, I mean, this is just for argument purposes, but just so you guys know the way that it works is, is um, um, the ranking for BoxRec is an algorithm which is basically a computerized formula of who you face, who you beat, who you lost to, and who those opponents have beaten and faced and won and, and lost to. So it's just like this whole formula, and it makes a ranking, right? So according yeah. to BoxRec, from the active bantamweights in the world, the number one ranked um, bantamweight is Julian Luna, right? Which is, yeah. you know, that makes more sense. Then you got Dina yeah. Thorsland, number two, who's undefeated at 18 and 0. Very good. And number, and number three is Shannon O'Connell, right? Ebony Bridges mm-hmm. is number 13, according hmm. to Boxrec in the world. You know, above her is Jamie Mitchell, 8 and 0. Uh, number four, Shannon Courtney, who is um, uh, number five. Mayeli Flores, who's eight and one, uh, who's going to be fighting soon, and I'll tell you who in our in our upcoming um, um, in our upcoming um, and she might be out of this. Uh, she might be coming out of this uh, list at bantamweight and goes down to super flyweight. Selena Munoz, who is a long reigning at one point was a long reigning super flyweight champion, is number seven. Melissa Odessa Parker, who's six and zero, is number eight. Barbara Vasquez Osuna is five and zero, who's number nine. Jessica Gonzalez, who's eight and six, but she has faced a lot of world champions, is number ten. Yeah. Uh, twelve and one. Tatiana 
Davis Kakaya is number 11. Florencia Ayelin Juarez, who's 9 and 1, is number 12. And Emberly Bridges, number 13, at 8 and 1. Mm-hmm. So, pretty interesting that Shannon O'Connell is number 3, but she's 23 and 6. So, she has about um, 23 and 6 in one draw. So, she has 30 fights. Emberly Bridges has 9. So, that is why she's being ranked according to this algorithm, much higher than Ebony Bridges because, you know, like David mentioned, she has faced quite a number of experienced fighters. Um, her first loss came to Sarah George back in 2012. Uh, she beat Michelle Preston. Um, she fought, she lost to Hugh Min Choi, who is the 130-pound WBA champion. She lost to Gabi Sil Tashabalala um, back in 2013 as well. She lost to Diana Prazek. Back in 2014, um, she lost to – she had a draw against Diana Cordero. Uh, she fought Edina Kiss, beat her. She beat. She lost to Marcela La Tigresa Cunha. That would bring up your ranking super high. Ellen Joseph, she lost to her in her last loss um, back in 2017, and since then she's has, she has won. But her opponents since her loss to Helen Joseph haven't been all that impressive. I mean, she has – she hasn't really been anybody with a with a mm-hmm. impressive record except Kylie Fulmer, who was undefeated, and she stopped her in seven, and Shernika Johnson, who was 13-0, and, and she won a split decision a split decision over her for the WBA gold bantamweight title, which was vacant. Other than that, she's been in a 3-1, and one, a 3-0, and oh, a 3-4-2, and two, a three, another 3-0, and oh, a 1-3. and three. So she hasn't really fought – you know, very, very tough opposition since that last loss to Ellen Joseph. But she's done enough. Didn't she take time off, though? Uh, I know she was pregnant. She fought. She lost to Ellen Joseph in 17. She fought again in 17. She had a two-year hiatus between those fights in 2019. And then, so yeah, I think so she had a kid, baby. But she's done enough to win herself a world title challenge, and, and we'll see. If they won, if they won the the purse bid a couple like a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, they have to have they have to make the fight within ninety days. So that would be what is it, September, October. So by the end of November, early December they gotta put that fight together. So let's see when that happens. Um for the Ebony Bridges defending her IBF Bantamweight title against Shannon O'Connell um sometime in the near future. Now let's move on to the upcoming calendar, Friday, September 16th, from Brooklyn, New York. Melissa St. Ville will be facing Calista Silgado in a in a six-rounder at 135 pounds. Now, I'm guessing here, but the fact that Calista Silgado has fought pretty much everybody, I'm thinking this <laughs> is not the first fight they fight each other. What are you guys thinking? I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I would be actually no, surprised yeah, they had not fought each other. Fought. Uh, actually, no. First time they fight each other, so that was actually. Wait, she's fought all. She's fought of all the other fighters that that fight under the same manager. Better know that. Yeah. <laughs> so she's actually so it's the first time that she fights um, uh, Melissa Saintville. So Melissa Saintville, who has not seen action since um, May of 2001, so a little bit over a year and four months, she's gonna be fighting. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with Melissa Saint She has she has a very um, sporadic sp- 
sporadic career. I mean, before that, she she fought Jessica Kamara and beat her with a unanimous decision in February of 2020. And then her first, her next fight was May of 2021. And now she's fighting September of 2022. So she's fighting about once a year. The last time that she fought more than one time in a year was in 2018, losing uh, a losing in seven rounds to Delphine Pursun, and then she fought Diana Santana in a six-rounder um, seven months later. So not since 2019 has Melissa Sainville fought more than once a year. So hopefully this is the first step towards being a little bit more active because she is, uh, you know, about 30-something years old, almost 40. Uh, she's 39 years old, actually. Um, so... Um, so hopefully she gets a little bit more action uh, in the next year so we can see her a little bit more often. Now, another fighter who has not fought in a year and 10 months is Guadalupe Martinez, the former uh, WBC 115-pound champion. That is who Lourdes Juarez Pequeña de Lu beat for that title. She's coming back on Friday, September 23rd against Mayeli Flores in a scheduled six rounder at 115 pounds. So it will be the first time that we see Martinez in a year and 10 months. And on Saturday, September 24th, from Germany, Sarah Borman goes against Elizabeth Lopez in a 10 rounder for the WBC silver 105 pound title. And from Manchester, England on the same night, Amanda Serrano faces Serrano Mafud in a 10 rounder for the 126 pound IBF WBC and WBO world titles. And Anna Rankin, will be facing former 130-pound champion Terry Harper at 115, 150. Yeah, defending her WBA uh, title. And that's the fight that we're going to mention when we're talking about Natasha Jonas, is that here's another fighter who's coming up from the 130, 135. Actually, her last fight was 135 pounds, 135 pounds, where she won some regional title. And now... She's taking the big jump, skipping over at 140 and 147, just like Jonas, to look for a world title at 154 pounds. Lupi, my question to you is the fact that Terry Harper, her only loss came by a devastating knockout by Alicia Baumgartner, and now she's moving two weight classes. Do you think that puts her at risk to be knocked out again by Hannah Rankin, who is coming off I mean, I don't know if she hits super hard, but she hits hard enough to cause some serious damage to Alejandra Ayala. Um, so do you think that she's putting herself at risk? Even though Hannah Rankin, her record is 12-5 and five with three knockouts, but she is moving up from 135 to 154. How much of a risk of being knocked out again is Terry Harper putting herself in? Lupi, I think you're on. Uh, you're on mute. I was on mute. That was the first thing I thought of when when the fight was announced. I was like, Oh my God, Hannah Rankin's just coming from this, and Terry Harper's coming from that, and I got a little worried. And I, I just point. saw Terry Harper, or her body, all her weight, all her muscle. Did you see that? It's all in her legs, all in her legs. I, I get. I'm worried for. Her. Hannah Rankin's walking, I mean, isn't that Hannah Rankin's walking around weight and Terry Harper has to try and get up there? That's dangerous. That is a good observation. I did see that picture because 
Terry Harper did post a picture not too long ago of her full body, and, and she looks pretty muscular, but you, you are right that uh, most of her weight looks like it's in her legs, David. Same question to you. Do you think it's a risk for her to be fighting 154 pounds, the fact that her only loss came by a pretty devastating knockout? Uh, you know, I think it's um, – I always thought that she was a little damaged, he, uh, even before that knockout. I, I always – I never thought that she could compete with Baumgartner or Michaela or any of those girls. I always thought that she she seemed uh, like a little damaged, uh, maybe from sparring or whatever, because she, she was losing fights, but uh, I think – it also was because she was losing too much weight. Uh, that happens a lot when fighters are at a weight that they shouldn't be at. They're weak and they're easily hurt. Uh, maybe this excess weight actually is where she should be. Maybe that's why her legs seem thicker because, you know, she was she was really too light. Uh, it might be better for her. I remember when uh, Oscar De La was fighting at 130 and 135, he was getting knocked down all the time. And then once he went up to 147, he never got knocked down. Well, seldom got knocked down. And they were usually against very, very big hitters. And he never suffered a knockout. Uh, it might help her. It just might. That's an interesting point, and we'll see. And now, I, I did fail to mention, but I'm doing it now, that fight between Anna Rankin and Terry Harper, that's going to be televised on the zone on Saturday the 24th. Um, that's from Nottingham, um, England. And uh, Amanda Serrano and Sarah Mafudfa is from Manchester, England on the same day. Who is televising oh. that? Oh. Really? Yeah. Let me double check that. I just want to make sure. But who is televising the, the Amanda Serrano fight? Yeah. Know. 924. They're both on the same day. But that's on. I don't know if they. I don't know if it's going to be tele. Ah, it might be on ESPN because I know that ESPN has a deal with Frank Warren, and they're gonna. And the main event of the Amanda Serrano fight is Joe Joyce versus Joseph Parker. So they oh, might that's show. Tipping. They might show that on ESPN, and if they show that on ESPN, I'm sure they're going to show the semi-main event, which is Amanda Serrano against Sarah Mafu. So hopefully, hopefully we get that on ESPN Plus. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it says on the poster. On the post Amanda Serrano? Oh, yeah. Okay, so there you go. Amanda Serrano, Sarah food for all the marbles. Well, not all the marbles, yeah. but a lot of the marbles uh, at 126 pounds um, on ESPN Plus. And Hannah Rankin against Terry Harper on the same day, September 24th, on The Zone. So hopefully we get to watch. I don't think they're going to – I mean, the, the, the fight cards might be at the same time. I don't think the two fights are going to be at the same time, which is the good news. So – let me review real quick. Uh, September 16th, Brooklyn, New York, Melissa Sanville, Calista Salgado. Uh, September 23rd, the return of Guadalupe Martinez after almost two years against Mayeli Flores. September 24th, Sarah Borman against Elizabeth Lopez for the 105-pound WPC silver title. She wins that. Sarah Borman, who's 5-0, she might be a player at 105 and might be a nice opponent for Sinesa Estrada or uh, Yocasta Valle. And from Manchester, England, Amanda Serrano against Sarah Mahfoud on ESPN Plus and Hannah Rankin against Terry Harper on The Zone. Our next show is scheduled for September 28th. We'll be talking about all these fights and much, much more on female boxing. I'm Felipe Leon. 
from North uh, Northern California, Mrs. Lupi Gutierrez, and from the Inland Empire, Mr. David Avila. We all bid you good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.